Woke up this morning with the sundown shining in him. Where's the money, Lebowski? Where's the f***ing money, head? Oh, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's down there somewhere. Let me take another look. I found my mind in a brown paper bag, but then... 106 miles to Chicago. We got a full tank of gas, half a pack of cigarettes. It's dark, and we're wearing sunglasses. Hit it. Trip. On a cloud and fell eight miles high. I tore my mind on a jagged sky. Okay, you know you guys aren't privy to all the new. So, uh, you know that's what you uh, that's what you pay me for. I just dropped in to see what condition my condition was in. Illinois Nazis. I hate Illinois Nazis. Yeah, let's cut through the chase, okay? What are you guys selling? I lost you $60,000. There is no one who wants to make that money back for you more than I do. There's just one thing, dude. What's that? You have to use so many cuss words. What the f*** are you talking about? Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I woke up this morning with the sun down shining in hell. Lord, Rupert, Stacks and Jacks, have a time out. Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 22 after being destroyed yesterday. NASDAQ Futures up 107. Dow Futures 154. I think the word is buy the dip. Buy the dip. It was down yesterday. Buy, buy the dip. Do we have Professor Lou? Good morning, sir. How are you? Or, now, for you guys like you and Greg, you kind of 1% or 1% or wannabes, high end dudes, or rugged truck driver kind of guys, did you realize? That uh, Tesla drivers clocked in with the worst accident rate in the U.S. No, I haven't. I haven't seen that report. Are there enough Teslas on the on the road to get a well, yeah, meaningful twenty-four staff? accidents per thousand drivers? I definitely hmm. hit it more when I'm driving electric cars. So <laughs> that's uh, not a surprise. So guess who they're guess who they're ahead of. Uh, the worst are no. probably BMW drivers. Uh, I think they lead in drunk driving too. Um, I mean, I mean, are we going? Are we talk? We're talking about about cars. We're not talking about trucks or anything uh, like that, right? See, as the attorney, they're just ahead of Ram and Subaru drivers. Ram well, and Subaru drivers. They're, Ram they're, trucks. I huh. I always complain about the drivers around me, but the drivers in in Denver are not great. And and about half the people out here drive Subarus because of their all-wheel drive. Um, you know, they're they're relatively inexpensive cars compared to other ones, and they're and they're full-time. You know, all-wheel drive. They've they've had that for years. So so the, you know, the average Coloradan bumbles around in Denver anyway in a in a Subaru or. You see a lot of people in Priuses, which I think is like the absolute worst car ever to have in snow. Um, yeah, I would think so. Yeah, so anyway. By the way, my um, well-informed engineer is correct. BMW drivers are the most likely to engage in driving under the influence with three DUIs per, th- per thousand drivers, about the twice the weight, again, of Ram drivers, who are second-worst drivers in this regard. So see somebody in a Ram pickup, you might want to wander away from him. Uh, if, fact, you, if you want to watch an entertaining uh, example of you know why we need to go to self-driving cars as soon as we can. Um, look at the uh, video line on YouTube called "Wham Bam Tesla Cam." 
okay. they, uh, they, you know, the Teslas record everything. And so it's basically a series of people. In, in most cases, it's not the Tesla's fault. You know, they're, they're just getting hit. Um, but it's a series of accidents and mishaps involving Teslas because you could see it in real time and just watch guys run red lights and, you know, drive up to the Teslas and try to race them or blow diesel smoke at them or whatever. So um, I don't I don't know whether, you know, is that, I guess the next question I have is, are these people in at-fault accidents or are these just accidents? Well, I mean, we're, with this sample, we're talking about people in Pontiacs, Mercury's, and Saturn have 10 accidents per 1,000 drivers. It's a lot different than 24. Yeah, and those don't exist anymore, though. People still drive them. <laughs> Uh, people still drive. I don't. Them. I don't know. I. I, I watch. I, I've seen that that Tesla cam stream a couple of times, and um, the the stuff that happens to those cars. And I, you know, I, I don't. I didn't realize they were they were at a significantly different rate. But the stuff that happens to those cars is unbelievable. Well, with and people I, just running into them and crashing into them and trying to challenge them and everything else. Well, on the on the north side here. The most outrageous drivers usually are the people with the higher end cars because they are they're they're entitled. Now on the, on the south side, it's the people with the blacked out windows and that kind of stuff. They're entitled to go 100 miles an hour and so forth. But but anyway, it's it's just no. This is really good. I got to put this on the uh, the wham bam Tesla cam on the oh uh, show notes. <laughs> <laughs> but o- overall, the worst drivers were were Rams with accidents, DUIs, and other stuff. So there you go. Okay. So I'm better okay. off in my Chevy uh, pickup. Well, and so and so, you know, is that a particular that, that? So the next question is: Is that a particular demographic? Uh, that's what they're talking about here. It might be different. Are they old? Uh, are, they, are they young? Are they are they? They're considered black? to be. Are they white? Oh, they're probably all. Oh, they're probably all. I'm saying I, I'm going to guess all white. But Ram is considered to be the uh, the three pickup brands is probably the the ruggedest. I would say. By some, it's the I mean uh, most profitable for the mechanic. Yeah, they, I, that, I wouldn't want to touch one because they rust out. But I mean, there's a there's a whole line of research that suggests that African Americans are like terrible drivers, you know, worse drivers than any other. Well, when you're doing 100 miles an hour, it's kind of hard to get a race, and and they don't see they're, I mean, they're, they're not involved in this. When they thing. look at that was one of the that was one of the deals with defund the defund the police rolled around, you know. Which <laughs> Babylon B had a great head, headline the other day saying uh, activists who uh, urged communities to defund the police now find they have to fu- refund the police. <laughs> but when you when you file your IRS return, if you put down activists, is that a, is that considered a job? I don't, like know most you, people. I don't I don't know if activist is considered a job. I suppose you could write that in there as a, you know, it's whatever your job title you put in whatever your job title is for your NGOs, but I don't I well, don't Well the know. late the late Mike Royko used to say that if a person can't define what he does for a living in three words, you should not trust him. I manage money, I defend people, I fight fires, I arrest crooks. If you can't do that in three words, there's something wrong with you. I'm an- I mean, I, that that goes by the way with with advice that I typically give my my clients if we're if we're going into deposition or going into a, a you know a court setting. 
especially in front of a jury. And, and this, by the way, is advice that those idiots, those idiot university presidents, uh, apparently either were not given or couldn't heed. And that is, if you can't explain, typically in termination cases, if you can't explain why you fired somebody in 25 words or less, then then we lose. You know. In fact, the fewer words that it takes to explain why we made an employment decision or any decision, the guy showed up late. Better, he moved, he moved the, the office. Yeah, he showed up late. He moved in the office and said, "Screw you!" And we so we fired him. Yeah, I, I mean, I mean, yeah. I, I, was one of the one time? of the hilarious, you know, one of the hilarious things you 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 see in, in corporate America is is these kind of word salad, Camilla Harris uh, explanations for why things why things were done. You know, well, this person was just a bad fit for our corporate culture, and we didn't feel that that they were moving in the right direction with us or they didn't support our corporate policies and blah 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 you know they showed up late for work after we told them you got to be here on time they failed to accomplish this particular task after we gave them a deadline and this was a repeated problem they whatever and and you, you just one of the things you work with especially now is that people have been groomed to to explain things in these kind of mealy mouth Social sociological way, with lots of with lots of terms that uh, that they've picked up along the way that they really don't understand and that don't really say anything, and so it, it it's important that when you're when you're you're testifying, especially in front of Congress, you know, especially in front of a hostile Congress, that you be able to say clearly and distinctly yes, no, whatever. If you're going to evade, it's absolutely crucial. That you don't look like you're evading, and and you know that's that's really one of the things that uh, a good a good lawyer, a good litigator, trial lawyer, will will be able to, to get his client or, or set out. Was for his it client. deny, 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 and when in doubt, deny? No, it's it's not always that uh, because because again, it, it it looks evasive. It's give it's give clear answers when you're asked, you know, yes or no answers when you're asked a direct question, and if you have to explain it. Then, then, do so at another opportunity. But to do, you know, to, to deliberately mislead in your in your responses and to be obvious about doing it, and that's what was happening, for example, in that in that testimony by those university presidents, to to look like you're misleading when you're doing it is uh, is terrible and and that's one of the reasons you know those people are gone I, I i mentioned that because i wanted to just note first of all apparently that congressional committee is is widening the scope of its inquiry on these college presidents which which i don't like um but they're widening that's the all scope they, that's to, all they do is they really know, widen this inquiries it, on something it's well you know here's what's happened and and they're like they're, they're like uh, the worst, you know, uh, embodiments of Veep or, or or whatever. They they got Stefanik and and a couple of the others got some blood in the water. You know, they took a bite out of these people, so now there's some blood in the water. So they now see an opportunity to self-aggrandize because they know they've got these people over a barrel. So now they're looking at plagiarism. In, in the top these top colleges I mean it's ridiculous two for, for two reasons number one gay the uh, the Harvard president has clearly plagiarized 
she's going back to try to correct what she's doing the the Harvard board is is not going to is not going to force her out they they will absolutely not unless something really really bad happens because they're her they're pick. not they're, she's her they're pick. not that's right she she they are well and more importantly they are not going to be seen as backing down to a conservative republican who who basically roasted these people over the over the fire um and and so they they can't they can't have that that that's that's much more unacceptable than than lowering and destroying their academic standards well plus it now what, turns what percentage out that it, even it now turns well, hold on right. it now turns out that gay has plagiarized in, in it but looks like she's plagiarized in half of her papers that she submitted and she only she only wrote 11 i mean i mean her her public it's, it's obvious she was an affirmative action hire let me just put it that way she's and 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 she's you know she's sort of behaving like one um and so and so they've got you know they're now roiling this the the donor community is in an uproar um because they're asking what what kind of standards is Harvard maintaining if this is if this is the case, but the affirmative action lie has always been that we are going to find people who, from a merit perspective, are just as good as the top people that we were selecting using our other criteria, but for whatever reason got got missed, you know reasons not related to their to their merit, but um, the. The problem is that in too many cases, they're just selecting, you know, they're just selecting, you know, mediocre people who meet a certain demographic uh, profile, and 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 fit in, and that was that was gay. I mean, I mean, gay doesn't come out of a, gay doesn't come out of what I would consider to be sort of the classic, or or, or the, the original affirmative action justification, which was. We are missing talented people that that have are equally merited, but who, for whatever reason, don't test well, didn't have the adequate preparation. But if we put them into our organization, you know, in in a few years, they will be right up there with the very top performers. And and so we need to we need to to pick these people. That's not what they got with Gay. Gay was a product of Exeter. You know, she came out of she came out of the exclusive prep school environment on the East Coast. She goes to exclusive schools, and and then and then f- slots herself into this into this administration track, and then into this job. But in terms of her her diversity of thinking, no, she thinks just like everybody else. She's not adding she's not adding any value because of because of her her different uh, beliefs or her different way of solving problems. She's she's right out of the cookie cutter mold. She just happens to be a different color and a different gender, and and apparently, you know, dresses in a way that that and and, and works on her appearance to, to make people think initially that she she might be uh, you know gay. So this this whole thing is a charade, and it's it's ex- being exposed pretty dramatically by the inquiry that. That's surrounding her. Having said of, that, what Congress pop- has no business doing what it's doing. What percentage of the population would like to see ten members of the of the population, maybe even you and me, grill people in Congress on TV? Um, I don't know. I mean, ninety percent. No, a huge percentage of the population would say we were we were being unfair. Or, um, gee, you took this money from this person and you voted for this bill. Is there any connection there? 
Yeah, that would it, and you know you'd you'd have to have we'd have to have a little more evidence in our in our hands. Before we can find you them. We can find them. like that. What do you mean? You can tell where these people got their money from if you dig. If you dig, and and yeah, I, I mean, I I think I, I think that that's a good point. I mean that that was the whole point of the questions um, to these uh, these university presidents about how much money they had received from Gutter, for example, and that that one that one person saying, you know, I really don't know what the exact, you know, what the number is. Okay, so that's an example, going back to what I said earlier, that's an example of being evasive and well, looking look, like you're you being have, evasive. Let's get back to the beginning on this. So some of these issues that these guys are coming up with, this is, I mean, one of my themes, uh, and I don't pop it out too often because I'm, what's, what's the point, is I am not at all comfortable with this... Uh, government driving down essentially their job of policing and regulating and stuff to individual firms to the point where you know we have to do interpol checks on people monthly or monthly or something and if we you know somebody's a crook we're we're the problem i mean really where did i get that job am i getting paid for it i mean uh this whole idea we have let's put it this way all kinds of crap going on around the world is it a shock to everybody that if you have a bunch of Palestinians at a school and a bunch of Jewish people, they're not going to like each other. They just happen to be at a school, and somehow this is the school's problem. I mean, obviously there's a way to handle it better than other people, and there's a right way to handle it. But if these people start screaming at each other in the quad, that's your issue. How could that be your issue? It's, it's, it's a. I mean, we, we that school today they're, they're looking at uh, somebody in the state of Illinois is looking at UIC and somebody else regarding how they're handling. Palestinian versus Jewish issues. For God's sake, Lou, I mean... What does that mean? Evidently, there was a couple of incidents, and they didn't... Uh, not, what's their policy? What's this and that? How they deal with... I mean, if somebody starts jumping somebody in the middle of a quad, I think that's a police issue. I mean, since... since oh, what, that's... And why, I mean, I... Mean, I mean, what, so, we're, we're, so why are we title, shocked that this is a, well, that this well, is a problem? We've constru- so, so we've constructed this web of statutes... Uh, under Title and rules and regulations under Title IX of the uh, 1964 Civil Rights Act that apply to educational institutions with respect to gender and and Title VI with respect to to race um, and and other protected categories. Okay, so so it is a federal issue if, for example, you are treating Jews and differently than the rest of the student body or if you're treating Arabs or Palestinians or Muslims differently than the rest of the student body and and that that was the essence of the inquiry in front of Congress I mean that's where that that's where those questions were going you know why are why are Jewish students being threatened on campus why are Jewish students getting this I mean that at least that you at least got a federal statutory basis for doing that now you you may not you may not like the fact that it's that intrusive but but that at least I can I can at least draw a straight line from this conduct on campus to the federal statute that it's violating, or in, in the case of Illinois, you know, to to the uh, the Illinois uh, statute that it's violating. But what's um, I mean, the, the, viola- the violations are the two people fighting in the middle of the crowd. We, we we're so far away from that, Lou. It's scary. Well, f- but but two people fighting in the middle. It, it, first of all, the I don't know what the incidents are in, in Illinois. I do know what the incidents are in, in places like Harvard and. Berkeley and others, and they involve mob behavior by groups of, of students 
attacking or surrounding or intimidating uh, another student. And if, if that was being done on if that All right, was so being done, right, just simple. Is that a police problem or is that a campus police problem? And what is that? Well, it is a campus police problem, but if you're not enforcing, if the university says we're not going to enforce it against these people, we're going to allow this behavior to continue, then you've got then you've got a you know a federal law violation. What, what, I mean, I, I don't I don't get the whole. The police don't do their job, so campuses hire a policeman because they're they're not doing it now. How does it become their their problem? How does it become whose problem? The campus police problem. Uh, because there's a there's a there's a. The university, the university have campus police because they want an increased police presence right. on the campus, and they want a police force that they've got control over, rather than the civil, the, the civil authorities. Well, it's because the other guys don't do their job, basically. I don't, I don't think so. No, I think, I think it's in part because they want an increased police presence there, because of because of the presence of young people, alcohol, sex, drugs, rock and roll, it. all that good stuff. And chief, let, let's not discount this. They want a police force that is beholden to the university for its it. employment. I'm trying to get it. What I'm saying is, if all of a sudden something is bigger than that, it's 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 a uh, you know Germany attacks France, and all of a sudden you got a German French club soccer game at University of Chicago, and a fight breaks out. You shouldn't be too surprised. Um, I don't know if it. No, you shouldn't be too surprised. But you also you also shouldn't. Be in a situation where you're not enforcing, um, you're not enforcing your your campus conduct standards uh, against either one of those groups. I, I guess where my, if if you were still living in Chicago, you, you know where I'm coming from. Nobody enforces anything here, so for anybody to go out and tell somebody else they're not enforcing anybody, who's the somebody? What, what, what do they say in the Bible? He went out the first stone, or without sin, cast the first stone. Chief, this this is this all revolves from the political from the the politician's perspective this is the latest hot issue you know it it's it, anti-semitism on campus somebody can some bureaucrat can score points with this some political hack can score points with this so we're going to focus on oh, it. I, I get it we that's what's happening that's what's happening in congress too. we got to go to break when when do we, who do we get to, when do we get to tell the congressman that this is your job is to run the place you're doing a horse bleep job why don't you concentrate on that for a while elections have consequences well, that's me. SP Futures up 24, and as if he was up 117, we're back about, yeah, maybe 30% of yesterday, so not much yet, but still better than nothing. Be right back, Stacks and Jacks. How much confidence do you have that your investments will make you wealthy? Do you truly know the odds? Welcome to Luckbox, the control freak's guide to life, money, and probability. Luckbox shows you how to gauge the likelihood of success before you commit to an investment or any other decision. And Luckbox is free for one year at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Each new issue dives deep into the current investing climate, separates the signal from the noise with relevant trade ideas, and equips you with cutting-edge tactics you don't already know. Luckbox is the essential magazine for proactive investors who are hell-bent on pursuing life, luxury, and happiness through sports, fitness, travel, food, spirits, music, and a whole lot more. Smart investors don't bet on possibilities, they play the probabilities. Luckbox is $7.99 on newsstands, but you can subscribe for 10 free digital issues at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Don't rely on luck. Get Luckbox at luckboxmagazine.com slash jocks. Stocks, jocks, stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now.
Hello, I'm Bates, Tyson Jackson. I'm talking about Greg Pappas on the board. SP Futures up 24.50. NASA Futures up 120. Maybe one of these days this cold flu will leave me. Um, gaining on it, but uh, my, my advice, don't get it. A Dow Futures up 160. Yesterday, uh, we had nothing but great good days in a row. Great good. How was that for a statement? Uh, Ten days in a row. And everybody kind of had the idea that it wasn't going to go straight through, but perfectly blunt, I was really stunned at uh, the rapidity at which we fell yesterday. We were up 20 in the S&P. We finished on 72 over a three-hour period. That's a big turn, even in the midst of a rally. So um, it should give people a little pause, maybe at least a little bit. I'm not saying we shouldn't buy the dip, but uh, we, we did a spread. We had a you know very nice spread. We were working on from around the end of the year and, and did a roll and sold a strike, and we should have sold like seven strikes lower, for God's sake. But it was pretty rapid, so you know, just remember, markets can go down as well as up. Over in Europe, we've got the uh, DAX down 89.5%, FTSE down 37.5%, CAC around down 38.5%, yes, across the board, 0.5%. Over in Asia, a Nikkei down 535, 1.6%. These guys have gotten a lot more volatile lately, at least day-to-day. Uh, over a weekly period, they're not that volatile, but they're every day they're 1, 1.5%. Hang Seng up 7, call that flat. Shanghai up 16. Uh, that's 0.6%, 29, 17, 18, or at least trying to make it above 20, uh, 2,900. They ducked below that. It, I don't know. It's not so good. Yesterday, like I said, Dow was down 475 after being up. S&P down 70 after being up. NASDAQ was down 225. So they're all down about 1.5%, which is, which is a big move, especially in a holiday week, damn near. 10-year uh, unchanged, 387. Put unchanged, 197. Japan up 4 basis points, 0.59. Oil down 29 cents, 73.93. Rent down 32 cents, 79.38. Our natural gas up two cents, 247. It's still pretty low as we're entering the you know the high high demand season. But uh, with El Nino, it's uh, we're not that we're not cold yet. Maybe we won't even get cold. Arbob down two cents, 217. We've got gold down 50 cents, 2047. As we seem settled in this mid 2000 range, silver down 12 cents, 2450. Copper down a penny, 389. Bitcoin up 534, 44,151. Back to the highs again, for recent highs. And we have the U.S. dollar, which has been up, down, up, down. Is down today, with the pound uh, up to 108, almost at one. I'm sorry, the euro almost at 110, 108.9 or 109.9. And the British pound at 126.8. So they're both uh, getting creeping back up here. The dollar going down. What do you have for us, Travis Weather Sports? Morning, everyone. The Bulls. The Bulls. Yeah, Bulls win. 638 here in Chicago. Um, 40 degrees right now. 43, mostly cloudy today. Same in Phoenix, mostly cloudy. 77 today. 54 degrees right now. Traffic, Kennedy, Montrose to the interchange, 9 minutes. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 22 minutes. Eisenhower from Wolf, 54 minutes. Dan Ryan, 95th to the interchange, is 17 minutes. And 294 to the Ryan and the Stevenson is 17 minutes. Bulls beat the Lakers. That was at home 108 to 124. And tonight we've got the Saints at Rams, and that's the uh, favored by four. The Rams are favored by four. Games. I can't on get prime. them on TV, so they're not in. They're uh, prime video. Yes. And that's all I got. Back to you, Chief. When is, when is this going to end? With one of the Christmas Eve games now, Ryan. NBC Plus, you can't get on a regular station? It, it's not. It's eventually you're going to, I assume what's going to happen eventually is the NFL is going to um, 
going to take over and just start streaming on its own uh, its own network. You know, they they could they could technically do that. And uh, you know, the NFL the NFL network is is you know moving to more and more uh, uh, coverage of of individual games. So. So we'll see. I, I did. I did want to talk briefly about the uh, the Persian Gulf because we were kicking that around. Ah, uh, okay. You, you, you opened up a, a topic. We were kicking. We were kicking that around yesterday on email. Yes. Yeah, so uh, real quick on the NF, on the NFL thing. When are these guys going to figure out whether or not they're better on free TV or pay? They keep going back one to the other. They always come back to free. We're going to try NFL Network again. We've tried it about four times. I don't. I don't know. I mean. I mean. I think. You know the NFL. The NFL is right now looking at some significant uh, competition from from the collegiate playoff games, and and they've, you know, the college has figured out okay, we can we can make a lot more money if we push as many of these bowl games and playoff games as we can, and uh, and and they're working they're working hard to, uh, to to set it up so that they can they can put a product out that's going to rival the NFL in terms of in terms of eyeballs. Um, the, the 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 big attraction for live sports is that is that people don't don't DVR them. You know, you wanna you wanna know when the game, who won the game, when the game ends. If you don't, you're gonna find out who won the game. You know, later on, and, and DVRing it is not really an option. Um, I, I think. I think that's one of the big the big attractions for for live sports, and it's one of the reasons why advertising continues to pour in there. Plus, the demographic for live sports is a bunch of you know overhormoned young people with poor impulse control, um, and that that's a perfect market for for advertising, especially for things like Ram trucks, um, BMWs, and Teslas. You know, uh, less yeah. of those. Uh, I think I, I think eventually. The NFL is going to get its arms around this and figure out how to how to well, monetize been, this. But for been, right now, for right now, why should they bother? What what did what did Amazon pay uh, pay the NFL for? What one game a week Thursday night? Um, you know, a couple of a billion or so, two billion I, something I, like I, that. I, I get that part, but if at, at what cost? I mean, if if the if the uh, if half as many people watch when you when you're trying to develop this. Everybody's the NFL, game. but the the NFL doesn't care. See, think, that, that's I, Amazon's problem. But I, say, I think they do, because if your if your overall thing is this gambling, everybody has to watch every game, not just your home game. If that's where they're going, and, and you're going to make all the money because people are going to watch, kind of no matter what, and be sitting there, you know, betting on the next play, which is what seems to be where half the world thinks we're going. I don't necessarily, but that's a whole different dynamic. You don't want half the people sitting there watching and. I don't have these guys scrolling, like me. Um, it's a different. I, I don't, it's a different. I, I, I'm just saying it's a different I, I goal. As long as long as individual NFL games are drawing higher than the last game, you know, in, in, between two meaningless teams, are drawing higher numbers on TV than the final game of the World Series. As long as that keeps happening, you're going to see people put money out for it. I, okay, but what, what I'm saying, what is the difference between a Thursday night game on, say, Channel Seven? And a Thursday night game on Prime. How many people watch it? I don't really. I don't know the answer to that. I probably could find it. Actually, Greg could yeah, find I it. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Let's let let's let Greg, let's let Greg work on that. Let's let's talk about the Red Sea. Okay, so a couple of things jump out at me on this. First of all, is the geopolitics that are playing that are playing out. 
The Houthis are a proxy for the Iranians. The Iranians have armed them, they've trained them, they've they've uh, they're a way of attacking uh, you know Iran's big rival in the area, which is Saudi Arabia. Um, and so and so they've they've established an enclave. These Iranians are busy Yemen, bees, aren't they? In Yemen, well, they're 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 subverting. This is why this is this is why there's a substantial. Uh, position in our foreign policy establishment that says we need to go right to the heart of the problem, start sinking Iranian ships, start start uh, basically shutting down Iran's ability to to operate and destroying. You know, we we want to make it so that it's very expensive to be a friend of Iran, but we're not we're not going to do that because the Biden administration wants to be a friend of Iran, which is why we have not responded until until now to what the heck was going on in the Red Sea. So, so from the Iranian perspective, this is great because we're we're arming these these guys to the to the teeth, and now we can bring them in to attack Israeli interests. Now, what's noteworthy is they've gone from shooting at ships that they believed had Israeli connections, either ownership or crew or charter or whatever. Um, they've gone from doing that to just shooting at everybody, with the object of shutting down the Red Sea, and and. This does, this does two things. It greatly increases the cost to the rest of the world for shipping because because ships now have to go, I think it's 4,000 nautical miles further to get, for example, from Europe to Singapore to China. Well, so, you could use so the Panama a, Canal if it had enough water. That's a, that's a huge... It's not it's not shorter going across the Pacific. Um, so so it, it, it makes a huge difference there in terms of cost, and that's going to get passed on to everybody. More importantly... It screws the Egyptians, and the Iranians want to put pressure. You know, they're they're supporting this anti-Israel position. What are these guys are they? they, they want like to, a half a million they dollars. They want to put pressure. They want to put pressure on the Egyptians. Egypt, Egypt, gets something like thirty percent of its of its national, you know, product, gross domestic product, or some some incredible figure, just from Suez Canal traffic. Of, of a huge container and, ship is like a half a million bucks. And now, and now they're going to shut down that that canal because because you can't. It's not safe to go into the Red Sea, and so this is designed to to screw with with Egypt and to make Egypt, which is the only other country that borders Gaza, to make Egypt more receptive to Iranian demands that that stuff start getting into Gaza from Egypt. The Israelis do not control that, and they're not inspecting that that uh, those entry routes from Egypt. That, uh, to heretofore, the Egyptians have been adamant. They want nothing to do with the Palestinians. They want them bottled up there in Gaza because they're troublemakers and and deranged, and and they don't they don't want them in their they don't want them in their culture. So they're perfectly happy to keep them bottled up there and allow them to smuggle you know some stuff some stuff in because it profits Egypt. Well, the Iranians are now basically telling Egypt, we're going to force the issue. We're going to demand now that you allow God knows what to be smuggled in through those through those southern uh, entrances or southwestern entrances to to Gaza, um, because because otherwise we're gonna we're gonna keep your your canal shut down, and and so at some point the light bulb. I mean I, the U.S. military has been screaming about this from day one, from from when the piracy stuff started, to these missile attacks, saying we've got to go in, we have to protect the that freedom of navigation of the seas. That's what we have this this navy for, and and so they've been screaming about this, and and apparently now the 
somebody in the Biden administration has overruled the pro-Iranian uh, the pro-Iranian bureaucrats and said Look, we're going to have to hit these people. So now we've got now we've got a force in there to do this. What's noteworthy is that depending on whatever stuff they're using, you know, a Shahed drone, which is is what the bulk of the attacks have been, costs about twenty thousand bucks. Okay, it's it's basically like I don't know, shooting a is there a Subaru that costs twenty thousand dollars? I'd like no. to shoot a few Subarus into the Red Sea. Um, it's 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 basically like shooting a used Subaru into the Red Sea. So, our our destroyers are. You know, where, where's are, the where's the manufacturing facility that can make those things? It can't be in Yemen. Um, the Iranians have been producing them wholesale, and, and, and they, 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 they assemble them. them. They they ship them. They they ship them there overland through Syria, or they ship them uh, uh, on uh, on boats, and they and they assemble them. They assemble them in Yemen. They're not complicated. Um, Wait a minute. How, how do you get? How do you get the Yemen from Iran by land without going through Egypt or these other places? Uh, you could smuggle them across Saudi Arabia. Half, I mean, okay. I mean, uh, you, you you can smuggle them in through Oman. Um, you know, they're but you, you got to cross water trucks. at some point. Well, you know, do, do you know you know what they refer to southern Saudi Arabia and and north or. Uh, Western and northwestern, sorry, southwestern Oman as uh, the land of that whole area that? is referred to. That whole area is referred to as the empty quarter. You know why? It's empty. That would do it. Yeah. So, so, so you can you can move stuff across there if, but but I think most of it's coming in. I, I saw the flight of the Phoenix. I, you know, I, I know. It. Yeah, most of it that was in Egypt. I think most of this. What's is coming the difference? In, Desert's desert. Yeah, most of this is coming in through through ship. So, so these things cost twenty thousand a pop. So there's a lot of them, and they fired a lot of them. We, because of the way our force has to be deployed, we can't just sit there and shoot them down with guns. We have to, we have to, they have to come within, you know, we, we position our ships so that these things come within radar coverage, and then we shoot at them with, with one of our standard missiles. So you've got this propeller-driven, you know, maybe seventy mile an hour, if that thing flying along at you know 100 feet over the ocean going toward these ships and it's got i don't know what it's got it's got i think a 100 pound warhead on it so it'll do some damage it's not going to sink the thing but it'll do some damage and if you fire you know 15 or 20 of them at a at a single ship you've got a you've got a chance of hitting the thing and and you know basically breaking it up and and stopping it in the water so we shoot at these things with with missiles you want to know what the cost of a standard missile is? The way we procure stuff, a million bucks. It's a million two. They're very effective. They're not really designed to shoot down what are basically our remote, you know, RC uh, prop-driven aircraft. They're designed to shoot down Mach six, you know, missiles and Mach two sea uh, skimming sounds, surface, sounds like surface we need a, missiles. Sounds like we need a quick redesign of our defense capabilities and stuff. It it. It's it's not it's not that. I mean I mean the the issue, and, and by the way, the Carney, the Carney shot down fourteen of those Shahed drones, uh, the other day using eighteen standard missiles. So, we just fired off twenty million bucks to to knock down, you know, three hundred thousand dollars worth of, of uh, of missile. Uh, th- those economics are not going to last. What, what's what, what's the matter with our? Uh... Those things, those like massive. Well, he's talking about Western movies. 
the huge Gatling guns that just shoot like well, all those regular bullets. Uh, but you got to be you got to be within you got to be within what a mile of of the Shahed drone to take that down. And we're not you know there, there was a lot of there are a lot of ships in the in the Red Sea. We can't put a destroyer on each one of them. The, the, the way to deal with this it's like the Somali pirate thing you've got to be where the pirates are you've got to be where these drones are and so they can you know the, the Yemenis can look at the look at the internet and see where our boats are and say okay we're not going to attack in those areas we'll go after right, these so ships that, we, are, that are somewhere else we, we used to do this why can't we and I'm not a military tactician here but why can't we say line them up and we have the I say the article yesterday where a lot of actually, some of our Coast Guard ships are designed for this. You're talking about a convoy. Uh, yeah. Convoy escort. C.W. McCall. That might work. C.W. McCall. Yeah. Remember the, the, the but, looks like but you got a, a problem. You got a problem with that. The convoy escorts. First, there are two problems. Number one, international shipping does not run on convoys. They run on their timetable, just in time. Drop the stuff. Get out of there. I think and they so, line up to save four days. Well, we don't know. I mean, I mean, it may it may be that might work, but in I can I can already see situations where it wouldn't. I so you've got to line all those ships up. So you do two things when you do that: you delay them dramatically, number one, and number two, you you create this great target. If you're a if you're a saboteur or you you're a Yemen, you know, a Houthi, and so now you fire instead of firing fourteen of these drones at at one target. Now you fire like five hundred. Well, and or, when you do that, I was going to say on top of that, you better have somebody flying around in the air because if if five hundred come at you, you better take that place out quick. Well, and that's and that's where we're going. I mean, I mean, the idea will be that we can um, attack the marshalling yards. We can attack the harbors where these things are delivered. Maybe we sink a couple of Iranian ships in the in the Yemeni harbor, dropping the stuff off. Maybe we track the main, the assembly areas where these things are being put together, and we blow those up. I mean, we can we can do that. The question is, you know, will we? Because we're likely if we do that. So, for example, if we find the assembly area, guess who's going to be at the assembly area? There are going to be a bunch of Yemenis walking around putting these things together, but there are going to be a bunch of Iranians walking around showing them how to do it. So we're going to likely kill some Iranian well, people. Iranian. Folks, and it's the way it works. But so but also, no, I don't no, know no, no. We don't want to do that yet. because we want to make nice with Iran. How come? Uh, just out of the, the lasers are also very. That was uh, if a if you fire. can get yeah, and it's the same issue with SeaWiz. If you can get a laser in, you know, close enough to do it, those things those things are not. I, I wish they were line of sight. If they were line of sight, you'd have a bubble, you know, twenty thirty miles around every every vessel. That would give you sure shot, you know, kill capability, but but we don't have that yet, and and you know we're probably not going to for a while. Um, but yes, lasers are one uh, electronic warfare, a, a jamming mechanism mounted on these on these tankers that sends out when they see one of these Shahed drones, this thing just sends out a pulsing signal that jams their GPS, jams their their video signal so that they can't steer them, and the thing falls into the sea. Why? Well, yeah, just that. Political question, and I'm not giving you heat because I got about ten of these things yesterday from some of my right wing people. By the way, I got I got a punch at six o'clock. All so. right. Um, why? When it seems like all along in, in history, before I was even here, 
uh, you had Roosevelt doing stuff with Stalin, and Roosevelt knew exactly what he was, but he did stuff because he thought maybe it would be better for us. We had recently, we had... He also had a significant number of, of Soviet sympathizers in his State Department and in his administration. Okay, what I'm saying is we had... Uh, somebody did SALT 1 and SALT 2, and I would not accuse them of being Russian lovers. We had recently everybody's hero, Donald Trump, making nice with the guy in North Korea and China, and it turns... I, I would never accuse Trump of liking those people. Well, he made, he made an attempt. It didn't work. I'm saying this, this seems to be a constant... Kennedy did it with Khrushchev. Everybody seems Nick, to think Nixon it, did it with China. Yeah, everybody, everybody tries to. I mean, it, it is it is clear that as much as you you want to hold your nose and put your other crush your other fingers behind your back, if he could get some kind of rationalization out of Iran, uh, a lot of this would go away real quickly on the world stage. To not try that, I think. Do I? I would give myself. 20% chance of being a success, but that doesn't mean I shouldn't try. It doesn't make me an Iran lover I don't, at all. I don't have a problem with trying. We've been trying for, for since 1980. And, and, since and, the, and, since and by the, the way, the, the right took the, the the sledgehammer we had against Iran out by getting rid of Saddam. We didn't have to worry too well, much about Iran when I, he was I'm, around. I'm, I, the, the, the Saddam takeout again was a, was a total miscalculation by, by the Bush people. Um, I, I'm, I don't, and I understand that. I, I don't have a problem with that, except the Iranians have done nothing but kill Americans, and subvert our interests, and try to kill and try to destroy the state of Israel. And and I don't, I, I don't understand. That's that's been well, true and forever. everybody's trying to find some way short of landing a bomb on top of the guy's head to stop it. And so far, no. Well, I mean, I, at this at this stage, at this stage, I would I would be saying we should be we should be destroying. Iran's ability to work through proxies. Okay, so and now when you, you say, when, or, or now when you say we, are we going to be able to put together any kind of group that says okay after the fiasco in, in Iraq? Uh, I'm not. I'm not talking about uh, toppling the Iranian government. I'm talking about making it very difficult, if not impossible, for them to work through proxies well, we, by making it very expensive to be a friend of Iran's. Okay, but now logistically, um, if we're going to have, you know, whatever, where's, where's Mr. Navy? We got Hal on here. He was he was in a, in a submarine. Hall. Oh no, he was in a nuclear uh, cruiser. Uh, if we, if we put destroyers and stuff over there, where the hell do we base them? Do we have a base anywhere near there? We have bases all over the place. I mean, in the Red Sea. Yep. Where? Well, I don't know if we have a base in the Red Sea, but we have a base in the Mediterranean on one side of the Red Sea, and we have bases in Oman and uh, uh, UAE on the other in the Gulf. We I mean, if we're talking to- about. Smaller ships. I mean, if you're, free- I'm not. If it, it's not a question of force projection, if we wanted to project it, the force we could. I know, but if we're talking about the article we sent yesterday, we we were kicking back and forth uh, the people on the show regarding uh, a lady wrote an article from the naval naval person and seemed pretty bright. She was talking about the either the big coast guard cutters or the or the frigates, the smaller navy ships are absolutely that's what they're designed to do is mess with these kind of people, among other things. And and, yeah, a, that was in the context. That was in the context of a fast boat, yeah, you know, three hundred fast boats attacking, attacking like an aircraft carrier or whatever. Yeah. Now the question is, and I noted, but how? I, noted I mean, that, we're not talking about an aircraft carrier to go across the ocean. Well, how far away do these people have to? How, how close do they have to be to their base? I guess is the question. Is my is what I'm trying to get to. Um, I, I I don't know, but but we can keep those ships at sea for for quite a while. 
Okay. Well, I wouldn't. And, and I mean, if we wanted to, if we wanted to, we'd do it. The the problem is, we don't want to. Well, we shouldn't want to this have to do it alone either. Want to. We shouldn't have to do it alone either. I agree. We're we're trying to build that. We're trying to build it. But the short the short answer, Chief, is that the world has operated under the American umbrella for what two generations now. It's worked out and, pretty and good they, most of the time. And they're and they're and they're they're crap. The Brits have let their defense establishment go to hell. The Germans have let it go. The French have kept it up to a certain extent, but they, they don't have the kind of force projection capability we do. By the way, I'm going to leave you with this. All right. Sort of the story I wanted to talk about, and, and this fits into what we're talking about now. At the, at the, at the quote-unquote summit in San Francisco when Xi visited the United States, so this was designed to reduce tensions. Xi told Joe Biden very bluntly that Beijing is going to reunify Taiwan with mainland with the mainland China. They don't have the timing just yet, but they're going to do it, and they're going to do it while he's still in office. He was very bluntly told that to Biden. Well, maybe he won't last long. So, so, you know. You think of all the other issues. Said, those people, guys, as we've always said on this show, when people tell you who they are, believe them. Um, the word uh, mind camp comes to mind, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Okay, um, got to run. Take care. So, hey, Merry Christmas. You. Merry Christmas talk to you, talk to you next week. SP Roger Futures that. up 24. Nancy Futures up 116. Be right back, Mr. Dan Janinas. Is your business being challenged by the complexities surrounding health care reform or other matters related to human resources management? If so, then Cognos HR can help. A longtime friend and contributor to the Stocks and Jocks radio program, Cognos HR provides its clients with a perfect blend of strategic consulting and day-to-day HR management to drive overall improvement in business performance. Companies that join the Cognos HR family are better able to manage health care costs, enhance benefit offerings, and improve employee satisfaction by leveraging our access to Fortune 500 benefits. Our innovative onboarding and payroll technology, along with our constant attention to detail, enables us to provide the highest level of quality service to our clients. Now, your time and energy can be focused on generating business and increasing your bottom line. We'll take care of the rest. For more information, call us at 630 401 8810 or search us on the web at cognoshr.com. Cognos HR, innovation in human resources. Licensed in Illinois and Arizona. Hello, this is Tom Howell, the Chief. Confused about investing these days? I suspect you are not alone. Investing was never easy, although at times it may have seemed so. I think one reason behind the current concern, although maybe not explained as such, is how the fluctuation in the American dollar and the associated politics is affecting your investments and your wealth. It may not be enough to make some money in your investments. You may need now to make enough to exceed the amount that your leadership is depreciating the value of the dollars you've worked your whole life to accumulate. That same leadership has seen fit to maneuver risk-free interest rates to near zero. Providing positive risk-averse returns in a zero-interest and declining real-wealth environment is by far the toughest assignment I've ever had in my years as a money manager. I'm sure that a lot of you have heard that one way to possibly deal with this problem is to invest in so-called hard currencies like silver and gold, the idea being that they will retain their relative value in the face of devaluation of paper currencies like the dollar. To be honest, I have never been a gold bug. I've always had faith that having enough dollars and a good investment strategy was good enough. Now I'm not so sure. But I do know that if I did invest in gold or silver, I'd want to do it in the same manner as we do with PTI for investments in the market, with defined risk. If you feel the need to invest in gold or silver, we can do it using the same strategies that we use for our protected index program. No matter what you invest in, we feel that you need to know and control your risk. Find us at PTISecurities.com. That's PTISecurities.com. Interested in promoting your business to a high-end audience comprised of entrepreneurs, traders, executives, and the everyday business person? Consider advertising on Stocks and Jocks. 
With a devout listenership covering the Chicago market, along with a vast online presence, advertising on Stocks and Jocks may be just what it takes to put your business over the top. For more information, contact me, Matt Weber, at matt at stocksandjocks.net. That's matt at stocksandjocks.net. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. You are out of control. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks. Stocks. was a hundred degrees below zero. And my mama cried. And my mama cried. Well, welcome back to Stacks and Jacks. I'll tell you how Rick Pappas on the board. Uh, it was in uh, late Frank Zappa's uh, birthday today. I don't know if you knew that, uh, Dan. That's from the uh, cut from the uh, Don't Eat Yellow Snow. Uh, yes. <laughs> always, always good advice. You know, uh, just saying. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have any yellow snow down here, so <laughs> we don't have any snow up here either. El Nino, El Nino, they say. Oh, really? Oh, wow. That's we're gonna be fifty degrees on Christmas. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna be in Boston for uh, Christmas. Same thing there. Yeah, interesting. Um, so what, what? Some every time we have one of these things, El Nino or La Nina, some places get warm, other places get really cold. Where, where's the cold spots? It's been a little bit, I would say it's been relatively cold here, like colder than normal. I know um, I was talking to my niece in Atlanta and she said that they had, they've had several nights where it's, where it's uh, temperatures got down to freezing. So I don't know if that's, you know, just a, a short, short term thing, but you're right. I mean, it should be a shift in, um, I'm not sure what's going on overseas. It could be, there could be some stuff going on overseas. Yeah, it might be, uh, you know, Greg will figure this out. He li- likes doing this stuff. It's like unusually cold in like Siberia or someplace. Yes, <laughs> and what, that's okay right now. What did you? Uh, <laughs> two things. I mean, one is, what did you make of the move yesterday? I, I, uh, I didn't think we were going to make it all the way to the end without some pause. I was pretty much shocked at how quickly and how dramatically it happened. Hundred points is a lot. And uh, secondly, I guess uh, not leading to witness, but good lord, I, I get tired as hell of everybody's watching TV all day long and. Uh, People that have never met the Fed, never talked to anybody, just sitting there telling you they know all about what they're thinking and what they're going to do? Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> Absolutely, 100% on that. Yes, I am tired. I, I am, and it's interesting that I, I would say um, that in the last month or so, the last few weeks, it's just amazing how many of these smart people have come out of the woodwork that are, you know, seem to really have all the answers. and. The, the the thing that's getting tiring, Chief, is is the you know there's still there are people that wanted to use the catchwords like recession and pivot, and the problem is as I've mentioned you know we had the recession a couple of years ago we had a two consecutive quarters of negative GDP and that was not reported because somebody decided to create a new a new uh, definition or or the talking heads or whoever. And then the second part of that goes along with what you were just saying, and and you know the this talk of everyone knowing, oh, they're gonna, you know, we're gonna see six rate cuts. No, now we're gonna see three. You know, in the end, and and I did hear one uh, report that I thought was interesting. These people end up looking um, not very smart. Let's say that that's the polite way of saying it. But they frankly they, they look stupid. 
you know, when they're out there saying all this stuff and then and then they really don't know what they're talking about. They don't have the experience that you or I have that, you know, that we've had over the years to be able to even be talking about these this subject. And then they then they sort of they they um, reel back their 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 thoughts. Oh, yeah, we did think that we did say there was a 100 percent chance of recession in in 2023. And we do think there'll be six cuts next week next year so what are we going to have at the end of next year those same people saying well we said six cuts but there was only one or two well, it's, Dan, it's just really it's really people that aren't paying attention to the markets the way that we are that don't understand the flow of funds that you know are, are coming to the table and just trying to repeat what everyone else is saying and unfortunately the people who get hurt are the listeners because they're they're getting confused they're saying, well, I can't really listen to these guys anymore because they're telling us stuff that just isn't happening. And some of it, I would say to the listeners, is some of it is just look around, look at what's going on around you. And one thing I wanted to point out, the, just the difference between certain words. So inflation means an increase in prices. So we're hearing that inflation has come down. Yes, we're not having the same rate of price increases that we we've had however that does not mean um deflation deflation is when prices actually come down it does not mean that prices are coming down so prices have reached a new level and something as simple as going grocery shopping you'll know that that there's that, that things are still a lot higher buying a steak at a grocery store is still still very expensive their, their prices have not come down so there's then there's the other word just to clarify. By the way, you're not you're not you're, you're not going to try and tell these people that you're talking about the second derivative of the curve, right? No, no. The, the <laughs> other word I was going to say is what they call disinflation. Yes. And the word disinflation is it it sounds like deflation, but it's not. Disinflation is just inflation growing at a slower rate. Prices are increasing still, but at a slower rate than they have been. So it means that the acceleration in prices has slowed down. And that's what we're seeing now. We're not seeing the same rapid increase in prices. But that doesn't necessarily mean with with disinflation or with prices not going up as quickly, it doesn't mean that things still aren't expensive. So whether we're talking about stocks or houses or steak at the grocery store or you know whatever you're talking about, it's you know it's their price Oh, we just uh. Prices are. Dan, you know what you're talking about is the uh. You're coming in and out here. So the consumer is going to um putting money on credit cards to get through, and that could cause a problem down the road. It will cause a problem. Down you're the talking road. about the the difference between acceleration and speed. Yes. And what what percentage of the population has a clue what that even means? If they don't, that's that's the problem. And and the way that it's been, I think. The way that I think you hit it right on the head, and it's the way I've been feeling the last few weeks. Exactly what you said. I'm kind of getting tired of the of these talks and and the pivots and the recessions and 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 not really talking about what's actually happening. You know, not really talking about what, what's happening. But the the you know the, again, prices going up is inflation. Prices going up less slowly is disinflation. Prices going down is deflation. We're not in a deflationary environment. We, we no. absolutely are not. And again, I, I recommend that listeners sort of just pay attention to what their bills are. You've mentioned before medical expenses. Look at utilities. Look at your electric bill. Look at your 
you know, your water bill. Look at your your day to day expenses. Look at how much it's costing to have you know for services. I don't know if anybody goes to the to the dry cleaner anymore, but I went last week and I was blown away oh, at yeah. how expensive it was. So it's 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 um, the prices have not come down. So it's not a chance to. It, this is not the time to say, okay, everything's great. It's back to normal because it's not. We're at new highs. We're at new highs in the stock market. We're at new highs in in housing prices. We're at new highs. And being at new highs doesn't mean that things are affordable, especially for those people, for example, those younger people, or the people who just don't have the means to afford those high well, prices. If you, have, if, you have, if you have fixed assets, if you have stocks and bonds and, uh, and property, yes, you're okay. But the end of the, uh, it's funny, you and, uh, you and Kenny here, you know, when it comes to this stuff, we, the professors are pretty bright too, but you guys are all over the numbers that affect the economy, and it's the only the weird slight difference, and I, I, I'm getting really goofy here with this, but that even even you and Kenny once in a while will like grab a number, and because because everybody likes to be able to grab a number from somewhere because that's how we've all been taught, right? Right. Yet I I honestly think the more I think about my you know my monetary theory education, which goes back so friggin' far, um, I think when you when you have the the Fed do what they did over a two-year period with, I would say, less than rigorous attempt to keep the inflation numbers current, I think any number that you see now in terms of recession, in terms of how the economy is doing, you have to look at with a grain of salt. I don't think any of them are any good. I honestly don't. Because there's, there's no way that we would... You could have 30 million people out in the street begging for food and when you're still not going to show a quote recession if you pour enough money in the system and you lie about the inflation yeah no i i that i do agree with you on that so i mean i don't i don't know what i don't know what number out of the whole mess that we can look at i i keep looking for and i I can't i mean yes last night since i'm hunkering in with this cold um i started looking i shouldn't do this dan because i'm gonna ruin your day i started looking at uh, the u.s government numbers the deficit surplus for the first two months of this fiscal year. Now, we have a Fed that allegedly is going to try and, you know, this guy was talking about how he dropped the, the uh, what, the, the balance sheet a trillion dollars. Yeah, but he raised it seven. Okay, now he's down one. All right, so still in a four-year period, you look at it and go, what the what the bleep, you know? Right. But, uh, but I'm looking at this. Now, last year, we had a way bigger deficit than we did the year before. Last year's supposed to be a fabulous year, right? In the economy, by everybody's stretch, right? It's, it's, uh, yes, so we, but we had a a trillion six deficit. Make that a trillion seven. Now this year, we had a Fed saying they're they're going to go back to I'll use the term normal behavior, and they're not going to keep pushing money into the system to help out what Congress is doing or the president's doing or whatever people want. Because if the other guys are in Congress, they'd be doing the same thing just in a different way. Um, we're already we're already up 30, 20 to thirty percent a month in spending from the same month last year. How the hell, how, how how's that going to work? Last year it's, last year they spent uh, four hundred six billion dollars in October. This year it's four eighty nine. November was five hundred. Now it's five ninety or five eighty nine. How the hell how how, how is the, the Fed? Even if the guy had some stones, which I don't know anybody in the world would have those kinds of stones. 
and say, hey, I'm not helping you anymore, which I don't think he ever could do. How, how exactly are they going to change policy with this going on? They're not. The, the thing is that th this is something that is it seems to get shoved under the carpet. It's something that's not discussed enough. Um, both both the well, the increasing debt, whether it comes from the government level the, or the household level, it's 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 definitely a, um, a topic, I think, that is it does not get as much attention as as it deserves. And, and there is going to be there are going to be consequences. And this is what seems to happen. I think what's overlaying all of that is the, um, you know, the it being an election year and there being a certain amount of necessary euphoria, if you will, from the press when it comes to things like the economy. So you hear these talks about, well, you know, that people don't like Bidenomics and all that, but but I've listened carefully to what some of the reporters have been saying, and they're not going back to saying that, you know, they're not. There are a few that'll talk about the deficit, but they're not really focusing on that. And I do think that is. A key area of concern. Um, these the other areas of concern, obviously, are, are household debt, credit card debt, that goes along with that as well. And somebody's got to pay for this. However, that is happening at the same time that we've seen this huge bloat in in wealth, this huge accumulation of wealth in the baby boomer generation. And what's starting to happen, and I see it with clients of mine. I've seen it over the years with clients of mine is the transference of that wealth to the younger generation. So even though we're saying, hey, how are younger people ever gonna be able to afford these, these high prices, or hey, these younger people have all this, this credit card debt, some of that will be taken care of by the transference of wealth when, when, the, when their parents pass on and, and, and they inherit some of this wealth. And that's not something that was happening um, at a at a major rate or at, a, at this higher rate if you will um when we were their age so you know what though, Dan, there's, you know, there's a that that kind of zeroes in and my my whatever i mean it's not like you you, you pick the people that like you they, they sort of pick you right it's, it's the way that works uh my clientele for a real long period of time as i was on the air and so forth were essentially middle class uh couples that had a, you know, a, I'll say a, I won't say a, I'll say a middle class job. It wasn't necessarily blue collar or whatever, a middle class job that uh, would pile out of uh, at age 65. We're talking, you know, 20 years ago. They'd pull out of a, a with a million, million, two million, five. Always was like the same number. That if you if your company had a 401k plan when everybody else started, yes, and you put the money in there, and they matched a little bit, and you were diligent about it, you didn't come out with five. You didn't come out with 50 bucks. It was it was usually a million, million five was, was kind of the number. And they would essentially say, I want this money protected. I trust you. And we, we did a real lot of business for a long people, period of those time, of people. Now, a lot of those people are dead, which is sort of unfortunate, but uh, for them and us. But uh, now that group, virtually everybody that came to me, and I'm talking, you know, come to me. It's not like, you know, I'm a god or I'm not. But people would show up one or two couples a month. They, it was pretty unencumbered, but now that group, the people that I know that are that, that are retiring now, a significant portion of them have had to dig into that, either yes, either for an issue true. with their house. They, they don't have the million two coming through. To, one of the kids got in trouble. There was some education issues. A grandkid, you know, they they. They ponied them up a hundred thousand bucks to go to college, and then the kid quit. Whatever it is, you don't see people coming out of it at that group 
You don't see them coming out as clean as they did 15 years ago. It's it's been- no, that, and that that I'll absolutely agree with you. And I'm seeing the same thing. I'm seeing a lot more people at younger ages tapping their IRAs for things that should be you should be able to, um, you know, you should have savings for. You should you know there should be some savings for. So I would absolutely agree agree with you on that. Um, so and there seems to be two. I mean, there 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 are the people that have the you know that want to invest their retirement money with the legacy in in mind. In other words, wanting to pass the money on, and so they may have other sources of income, whether it be other properties or 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 some other um, income source besides that 401k money that they've rolled over. And then there are those people that want to live off of it, and they want to and and they're taking. We've seen it with lost Dan a bit here, Greg. What, uh, what's the score here? He, you cut him more a lot. Um, we see, we may see here more than what you see up there. People who've retired into people who've retired into um, homes where they they do not. Ha- I mean, to like a second home or a, or a condo with um, accelerating um, HOA expenses, accelerating um, taxes, accelerating um, you know property taxes. Um, so they're they're not able to afford now what they could on that fixed income, which is requiring them to take money out of those IRAs. Um, and and just to live. So yes, I absolutely agree with you. And I think, Tom, when we go to this issue, I I have referred to this issue for the last decade as the, an issue of affordability. So yes, there's more money in the system. Yes, there's a lot more debt out there too. But there's an issue of affordability that would affect what we would refer to as the the average middle class person, the person who's just doing what they've done. They've worked. They've paid their dues working. They've earned this money, and their um, you know their home value has gone up. But they've earned this money in their four hundred one k's, and now they're faced with you know the, this uh, lack of affordability, if you will, or this struggling affordability that has not gone away, and that doesn't get a lot of attention. Well, that's why um, I love uh, that's why I love talking to you, Dan, instead of listening to the buffoons. The deal, the the deal. Uh, and you and I know that there's always when there's legislation and so forth, there's always there's always an implied deal there with 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 the population. There's, there's something you sell to people when you when you when you sold the the four hundred one k stuff. Okay, the firms didn't want to be in the well. They stole all the retirement money, right? Pretty much all the big firms stole it, so they didn't want to be in that right. business anymore because there was too much money in there and they stole it. Okay, so the government let them steal it. It's another another topic for another day. But uh, basically, they did. That money never saw the light of day, did it? But if if somebody, I'm talking about 19, you know, whatever, say 2004, 2000, somebody rolls in with a, with a million five in, into your office or mine, and they say, okay, what do I do? This? Well, the, the deal, Dan, for them is, if you had your house paid for, okay, so there's no problem there other than taxes and so forth, if you put your money in a bank at a risk-free rate, we're not even talking about going to the Treasury like you've recommended and we've done for everybody getting 5%, but you're going to get 3 right, in a regular bank account. So 3 that's what is that? That's forty-five grand a year, right, by my math. You're going to get another twenty-five to 30 both of you, in Social Security. So you're talking seventy grand a year, and the house is paid for. You're okay. You can put a new roof on every 10 years if you last that long. You buy a new car after five years. You're, you're, you're fine just with that. You don't have to be in the market. You don't have to be buying NVIDIA. You don't have to be out on the risk curve 
that's the deal that the quote government made with people to get rid of their other pension plans because let other people steal it. Uh, and it right, might be a little exactly. harsh. Well, how's that person doing today? Tell me how anybody can make it on seventy-five grand, even if you have any kind of a decent house, even if it's paid for. What are your taxes going to be? Ten. Now you might get a an old, old person. And then the other the other issue that I didn't mention earlier when we talk about you know you looking at your budget and your and is infl- is um, insurance. Yeah. Cost of insurance has just gotten out of control. So, so there are things that that if you look at the household level of, of we're going to call them middle class people, but these are people who've worked hard their whole lives, that they're 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 being constrained by some of these things. And certainly, they used to be able to a few years ago. I mean, I'm going to include myself in this. Oh, I can go and get a steak for twelve bucks, twelve bucks at the grocery store. That's now twenty eight. So, I mean, it wasn't any big deal to. To buy to buy a steak at the grocery store or even out at the restaurant, and and now it, there is a challenge. So people are seeing these people that are in this situation, which are a large number of people because they're the baby boomers, which is still the largest group of of people by demographics. Those people are seeing day to day strains on these these um, budget items that weren't there, like you're saying, a few years ago. Well, they start you know, seeing the roof, the roof at the roof at fifty ago. grand in the, in the the pickup truck at 60 it's that's a little more than a bar- bargain on absolutely yeah absolutely car prices as well right there there, there just isn't an area that has um you know other than maybe some parts of technology um some some you know items and technology that have come down but certainly not an not, not the uh iphone um you know those are actually more expensive than they were so so the things that are that are the basic expenses that's where the challenge comes in and that's not the way this is being discussed um, by a lot of those um, people who suddenly know it all, right? They're not you know, describing you know, it like this. They're, 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 they're describing it in very vague terms um, and not really looking at the, the components that affect the day-to-day person. The interesting thing, though, the stock market, I think this rally that we've seen, I mean, it's somewhat justified by the Fed pause. It's somewhat justified by lo- lower uh, gas prices, but that can change. It's somewhat justified by an improvement in the supply chain, but there's still this fear of missing out where things get ahead of themselves and there has to be a natural correction. So I think yesterday was was a day of a, of a natural correction, not necessarily a trend, but you also have to remember buying at the top is not necessarily the way to make money. You know, it's, it's, you're, you're gonna be buying into momentum and these are momentum-led strategy, I mean, momentum-led rallies that we have to be careful about. You have to watch what's happening. Yeah, buying the top. Buying the top's not a great idea, usually. (laughs) Yeah, I would, yeah. But but somebody has to do it, Dan. Somebody has to do it. And if you're bearish, sometimes you have to buy the top just to let it go down, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. (laughs) I mean, there's sometimes you don't have a choice. But what we did when we were going through and looking at adding to, to, um, on the equity side, is we looked at small caps. You know, this is going back six or eight weeks ago that had lagged and so we bought the IJR the the um, it's a small cap core ETF and that's done extremely well um, but there'll be a point when that catches up that'll be time to lighten up we're only we're only going to be participating in this rally to the extent that there's you know we think it gets to a point where it's fairly valued or overvalued do you, um, uh, you like the, the you like the I mean you like the Russell better than uh, an accuser to SPY now yeah, I would I would say yeah, I would say in this environment you need to have both. 
I would say SPY, if, if you want to have exposure, that's the way to go. go. This is a very hard, I disagree with a lot of the, the, the people out there that are saying that this is a stock pickers market. It's not. I think this is a, mar it's, this is a momentum rally that's impacting a large, um, a large part of the market across the board. And even the talk recently is that some of the, the riskier assets are, have caught up with, with some of the, the big seven, magnificent seven names. So, so you have to stay diversified. And certainly, um, a question that I got from a client uh, yesterday was, you know, are we going to want to continue to be in T-bills if, if rates go down? And the answer is absolutely. <laughs> absolutely, because when we're gonna, we were buying um, four-month T-bills the other day at 5.44, and when rates go down, prices of all bonds, including T-bills, go up. So you're going to earn that five and a quarter, 540 plus that capital appreciation. And we're actually trading in T-bills, and I know for a lot of people that doesn't sound interesting, but when you can get up to six and a half or seven percent, stay in it. I mean, it's the risk-free, it's a risk-free investment. So bonds look good going forward. Stay diversified. Uh, munis look good. Municipal bonds still look good. Stay away from corporate bonds because those spreads have tightened so much. Um, we sold a single B-rated uh, bond yesterday at six um, percent. Um, just doesn't make sense when you can buy a, a four-month T-bill at 540. It, so there's there's corporate bonds, I think, have gotten too expensive, but municipals still look attractive. T-bills still look attractive on the short end, four to six months. Um, and, and with with uh, the equity market, as I said, across the board, invest across the board. There's, there's going to be a part of the market that will do well. There'll continue to be the sector rotation into the first part of the year. Um, and then start lightening up at, at, as we as your um, as the market advances. Don't don't uh, go all in. This isn't necessarily the time to go all in. Ted, two, two, sure quick, two quick questions that are very very two quick questions. That would hopefully uh, we got we don't have much time, but uh, we start talking about the market should go up from here. Some of these individual stacks, I don't see how they go much higher. The, the other thing that's interesting, I mean, just in terms of valuation, but you know, it seems it seems odd. I mean, I don't know if this is crazy history, but what the Fed did last week to me was so was so orchestrated, so so uh, choreographed that you had to be you had to be a chimpanzee to not realize what they're going to say. I mean, the market ran up like five days in a row or something into the announcement. You knew where they were all leaning. They said exactly what you're going to say, and in our day and age, <clears throat> that would have been it. Because everybody anticipated it, everybody was right. The market is supposed to be an anticipatory device. How, how does it go up five days after? Wanting to pat the job well done, but the job, as we know, yeah. But I mean, it normally, it normally wouldn't keep. The job is not. I mean, if a company does everything in the world, but but telling you with an airplane thing going across the sky that the earnings are going to be great, that and it goes up five days before the earnings, and they come out and the earnings are great, you if you were a, a market. Theorist, you would say everybody already knew it. You wouldn't expect it to go up five days after that, but that's what ha that's what happens. It's weird now, isn't it? Right. It's just me. Absolutely. That's the, and that's again going back to people not really doing their homework on the on the on the companies and, and not really you know following them like that, but really just listening to to you know whatever piece of information they can get here or there, or, or really frankly just following the trend. And as as you know, we don't make. Um, you know, the only way to, to really do well long term is not to follow the trend. 
Um, last question, I promise. Federal Express, that caused a problem for you? Is it a buy here? Uh, or is it just, just means a business is shifting or it means things are slowing? I think it, I think it means the business is shifting. I think they're, they're um, you know, they're, the expectation is that they would continue to do well into the holiday season and they're not looking as good as they were say a year ago. I don't think it's going to be a dinosaur of a business. I think there's going to be some some um, synergies that they're going to have with other companies that they'll continue to be around, but but just not the same um, sense of excitement that we've seen in past holiday seasons. Um, and I think the disappointment on the earnings is really what, what uh, drove the stock price down. So I don't think there's going to be a huge slowdown necessarily, but but a shift in business. But not down 12% not a raving buy, just okay. I mean, it, it, I would say it would be an inclusion, you know, something to include, but I wouldn't, again, go, I wouldn't go in with both, you know, I, I think it would be, a, I would say buy in small, in, take small small pieces right now. All right, but You know, we, buy, buy slowly and, and, and carefully. Have con, control buying. We got a dash. We, you and I have to, by the way, Merry Christmas. We'll have to talk. Uh, we'll have to talk because Brandon is uh, out for a couple of weeks. He's having his uh, medical fix-up done, so if you want to, Grab Tuesday morning as well. We'd love to have you. Tuesday may actually work better for me than, than Thursday next week because I will be in Boston. I'll be traveling on Thursday, so t- Tuesday should work fine. Well, you got to talk to Kenny and, and find out all the Kenny Polkari restaurants there and go check them all out. <laughs> I'll be I'll be literally I'll be celebrating Christmas right down the street from where he grew up. So oh, at my sister's. All right, take care of yourself, bud. SBP is up twenty-seven. Merry Christmas. Nasdaq futures up one thirty. Be right back, Mr. John Flanagan. This self-directed trading is a lonely job. Online trading is not as easy as point and click. No, it's not. Everyone, even professionals, need to share ideas and think out loud every now and then. That's what I like about PTI Pro Direct. Their staff of former option floor traders really helps me choose the right strategy for trading option volatility and plan the time to gain for my covered writing program. Yep, nothing can replace years of trading experience to stop you from making that dumb trade and for saving a few bucks. We've all been there and done that. <laughs> yeah, I have access to all that great trading advice and experience for just a penny a share for stocks, $1 for equity options, and $1 minimum a trade. Our clients at PTI ProDirect can call when they need a little help on a trade or just to talk about the market in general. We trade every day. We love this stuff. That's what I like most about PTI ProDirect. Cheap prices along with great advice from real floor traders. It's the best of both worlds. Tell your friends. That's PTIProDirect.com. PTIProDirect.com. Stocks, jocks, Stocks and jocks. Stocks and jocks. You are out of control. Right here, right now, right here, right now, right now. Long Wolfpack, Stocks and Jocks. I'm Tom Howell, Greg Pappas on the board. Uh, S&P futures are up 30. I mean, the S&P is up 143, so we're... Pushing halfway back, we're down uh, 72 yesterday in the future, so we're another four points. We're halfway back, uh, a little over halfway back on the Nasdaq. So we'll see. Nice bounce here. Is in the, in the, we're down almost 500 in the dollar. We're only down one fi- up 158 there. Just had the uh, uh, GDP third quarter final read was. Uh, well, we're going to get it in a second, but we'll, we'll have that in a second. The uh, over in Europe, we were down kind of across the board. Uh, DAX down 40, uh, they're, they're up some, they're down 49 points, 0.3%, they were down 0.5, FTSE down 29.4, Check around down 27.4, Renasia, Nikkei down 530, 535, that's 1.6%, that's a lot, 
Hang Seng up seven, call that flat. Shanghai up 16. Hang it above 29,000, 2918, that's 0.6%. Uh, China, China and Hong Kong reverse earlier losses, it says. Yesterday was a big ouch. Uh, Dow down 475, S&P down 70, Nasdaq down 225. Uh, bonds down three basis points, two, 3.84. Going down two basis points, 1.95. Japan up three basis points, 0.59. Oil, uh, it has been going up with the Red Sea stuff, not so today. Oil down a buck 51, 72.71. Brent down a buck 57, 78.13. Natural gas up four points, four basis points, four cents, sorry, 2.49. Our Bob down five cents, two fourteen. We've got gold uh, down fifty cents only. That's two thousand and forty-seven, so it's kind of range bound here. Silver down fourteen cents, twenty-four forty-nine. Copper unchanged, three eighty-nine. We've got crypto with a rally up four fifty-six, forty-four thousand zero seven three. And the U.S. dollar, which has been up down up down, is now down today with the pound almost almost at one twenty-seven. The euro almost making one ten, which it hasn't been for a while. It's one hundred nine ninety-three. Craig, what do you got for us? Traffic, weather, sports. Bulls playoff tickets. I'm going to be getting them soon. Pretty soon. As soon as I get rid of that Zach Levine guy. <laughs> Play better without him. 7.36 a.m. here well, in everybody Chicago. everybody else gets to shoot. <laughs> 42 degrees here. 43 today, mostly cloudy. Phoenix, 54 degrees right now. 77 today. Traffic, inbound Kendi from Montrose, 12 minutes. Inbound Edens from Lake Cook, 26 minutes. From Ike from Wolf is 22 minutes. The Ryan 95th to the interchange is 19 minutes, and the inbound Stevenson from 294 to the Ryan is 26 minutes. Bulls beat the Lakers. That was 108-124, and tonight we have the Saints at Rams on Prime. The Rams are favored by four. So I got Chief. Back to you. The uh, so if I were to describe, we have Mr. Flanagan. Good morning. Hey, how are you? If I were to describe, describe uh, Mr. Levine is a very talented ball player. Allergic to, to leather with Olay defense. <laughs> what do you think of that, Greg? <laughs> That's kind. <laughs> you know what that even means? Well, allergic to leather, I know. But <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I am too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Greg, is that, is, that, is that into the south side uh, uh, hackney snangs on basketball? Allergic to leather means as soon as you get it, you shoot. Yeah. Olay defense. Ole, right by me. Ole, like like a bullfighter. Or you miss it. You yeah. want to get as far away from fall as possible. Yeah. The uh, and then you had one of our like our, our buddy Mike Murphy used to do. He was freelancing. Didn't really want to play any defense. <laughs> it's even that's even worse. But uh, <laughs> I I hate being defined by roles. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> he hasn't he hasn't lived it down to this day. It was forty five years ago. <laughs> I'm I'm freelancing. Mike, who are you covering? I'm freelancing. What does that mean, you idiot? <laughs> um, Mike was a good shot, though. I'll say that for him. But he really wasn't all that strong on defense. But uh, he figured, you guys handle it. Just get me the ball, and I'll shoot. That's, that's interesting. Anyway, uh, what would you think of our interview yesterday with uh, young Margaret Russell? Mar- 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 oh, Russell. I really enjoyed Mar- it. Margaret it's Rhodes. I, Russell, I, Russell's daughter, Margaret I, Rhodes. It's, it's just... I mean, I'm, I'm always impressed by how together people are, at least the way they sound today at, at that age, compared to the way I think I sounded at that age. Does it just mean that the, the ladies now are way ahead of the guys? Well, they've, been, they've been given advantages. I mean, I, I would say overall the college experience now has really shaped 
to appeal and to nurture uh, women more than men. And I guess that's that's a natural you know, reaction to you know how many hundreds of years of all male college instruction all around the world. You mean they have they um, have ice cream sundays in the cafeteria every night, which we didn't used to have that kind of. Oh yeah, kind of, and uh, and just other stuff too. I think in the curriculum and in the you know the dating situation, there's so many things that I'm I'm not particularly you know up on, or I don't you know see firsthand. I just hear about it secondhand through my nieces and other people. Um, but I just I find it's you know it, it's got, it's got some kind of you know energy that has to return it to some kind of equilibrium because it's definitely not at equilibrium now. Well, I just uh, I, I'm not I'm not accusing women or you know anybody of of having you know of being responsible for that, but I think it's just the way college administration and um, you know the politics of the universities um, have drifted. And you know the the students do what they can to get into institutions and to you know ask for things they think they need or they want, and the colleges are are pretty much you know right on target to keep you know as many people happy as possible. But I, I do think the women have the edge. So. Well, when you're charging seventy grand, you got to make people happy. Yeah, I mean, and their the graduation numbers and degree numbers you know are pretty much tilted now, way in favor of women. So. Well, so I, I, I've always, kind of I was kind of zeroing in on uh, the differences in universities. That's why when I, you know, when I used to travel more, I'd always, if I was in a town, I'd go, I'd go uh, check out the university that was there just to see how all different they are. And it's, it's funny, she talked about at George Washington that the schools, essentially, the attitude is, we're not your campus, Washington's your campus. Right. Which is... It has to be at a scale of one to ten, probably a ten. They're probably there were I would say not better or worse, but they're like a DePaul where at, at Notre Dame you locked down, you stayed there, you never left campus, you studied. Well, we always left campus, and always found a bar, and always had a car. But we were very rare in that regard. Most people never left the place, uh, and and we only went because we, you know I found a bar that we could watch the Bulls and the Hawks and the and the closed circuit TV from Chicago. Uh, those were the days, huh, John? You had to find a place that needs the, the gritty black and white TV up there. But anyway, oh uh, yeah, but, but you know I, they're, they're I, also. I absolutely agree. You know the, the way she profiled them, and that George Washington U was like that when I first saw it many years ago, compared to say you know Georgetown or American or Catholic U, the ones she mentioned too. It's 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 in Washington and it's right in the, in the middle of things, but you wouldn't really know you're at a college campus at all. So. Well, you know, I always when I went to uh, we used to see the Cubs every year, spring training, you know, in the early '80s, and I actually uh, met some young lady down there that I essentially had a, a date with a couple nights, two, three years in a row, which is kind of weird. Me sitting there, oh, wait a minute, this thirty-two-year-old guy's being a pervert. No, she was like 25, 26. because the deal down there was, um, you never wanted to graduate. You take a class, you take a semester. You always took the spring semester off because you made so much more money working as a waitress or something for all the people coming down there for spring training than you did in school. And you're gonna make you made way more there than you ever were gonna do in your first job. Plus she had been oh, at yeah. she had been at three different countries in Europe for a semester or a quarter or whatever they did. So she was like, What do you mean? You you went there and graduated four years, why would anybody do that? <laughs> you know, I couldn't wait to go well, I mean I didn't want to leave my buddies, but I could I was pretty much done with Notre Dame after four years. Uh, you know, I mean, how much more of that could you take? 
But I, mean, I, I loved it there, but that's, I mean, that's not my point. What I'm saying is right. But I, I, I too, I was ready for a change. I was itching to do something else. But if we were all going to go into grad school together, we probably wouldn't have gone there. We'd have gone. I would have said we probably would have gone no. to Michigan no. or someplace. I don't know where we would have gone, but we'd have picked a spot. We, you know, we would have. I guess we could have all hunkered down in Hyde Park and had a good time in the one bar. But you know, I don't know. Jimmy's would have gotten old after a while. But I'm saying they they, they are all so different that it really is almost you know it's. Like you know, Madison, is, Wisconsin, is a massively huge, great city for for college. Uh, Ann Arbor is the same way, you know, all the with all the hospitals, the older students, all that stuff. We didn't have any of that in South Bend. It's all just they're all so different. I don't know how you even uh, figure that even out before you go. I mean, she obviously was smart enough to figure that out. She wanted to be involved where it wasn't just the university itself, um, which is sort of like a DePaul. And I, you know, I was fascinated by the whole conversation yesterday. I really was. I, I sort of didn't expect this to go down that road, but I was real happy. I thought, I, I'm sitting there going, wow, I'm learning a lot here. I was very interested to hear her talk about journalism, you know, as a career path and what her interest in it was. And it wasn't to be an anchor, you know, or some, you know, show and glow kind of person strutting around pointing at, you know, digital images on the screen or million bucks? interviews. Million bucks? Right. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's nice work if you can get it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but but that she really, you know, she's she's got a, you know a curiosity about the world and sees journalism as a a way of you know digging in and you know making it make sense to people. And I I applaud that kind of you know spirit because um, I think journalism is in is in deep trouble now as a you know its reputation has been soiled and you know I I, I can see why people would you know. People generally are are you know very apprehensive of aligning themselves with behind any kind of a newspaper or magazine or anything else these days because they, they're all suspect in a way. Uh, the TV programs, you know, the news programs have been suspect for a long time, and I just I was refreshed to hear her talk about it as if it's still an honorable. Career. I would. Uh, the only issues I have with that, Jen, and this is uh, maybe, you know maybe it's just me aging or something, but. We, we've got a society now, maybe we always did, but I mean, it seems like it's more now, maybe because you hear more people bleating away. Uh, we have a society now where people have, they've never, they've never been told no at all. They've never been, they've never made a trade and saw yourself buy something at two and 30 seconds later it's trading one. It's always somebody else's fault. It's, the, it's never your fault, either collectively or individually. And there isn't a, I mean, I'm not talking about every single person in this country, obviously, but the idea that all these congressmen, congressmen and men and women are bleepholes, yet, yet we the one we elect them, and yet we're we're not we're not at, not at fault. I actually read some survey that said, I don't know, surveys mean whatever the hell that means, because I mean, I don't know if, if you and I took our statistics knowledge such as it was, we probably couldn't find a survey now that was worth of crap anyway. But it was like everybody considered their congressman to be perfect and everybody else's to be assholes basically or something I'm like really I mean come on what, what, what are we doing here I mean the whole I mean the, the people look at the journalism piece now and say the journalism's horrible you know I'll, I'll just say two things and you know and you'll, and you'll tell me I'm nuts which is fine I'll say two things nobody will pay for a piece of news okay so you and the other was my buddy, Dr. J, when I started this show. He says, Chief, remember, nobody will pay for information. They only pay for affirmation. 
So those two statements to me are absolutely true. So when you say that there's no journalism, there's no journalism because nobody will buy a paper. I mean, at, at one end, there's, there's no money to, to do real reporting. And so you get crap that people decide. I mean, Audrey sent me some stuff the other day from one of the uh, right-wing things. And the guy, of course, <clears throat> by the way, I, the question has been answered. When, when, when Hillary wanders away, who's going to be the biggest cause of every problem in the world? And now it's Joe Biden on the right. <clears throat> if the guy didn't exist, if Hillary didn't exist, the world would be fine. So the guy launches into uh, all the mistakes he's made and how he's raised the money supply by 40%. And by the way, there's inflation's 40%. And look at the pickle everybody's in. Jan, 30%, 30, 30 percent of the 40 percent was during the Trump administration. Now, the, the dude should know that. That's, that's easy to check. So people just, they just throw crap in there. It's, it's, like a, it's like a Hitler speech, for God's sake. You just throw crap in there that you know is wrong just to get people saying yes. It's like selling a used car. I mean, what are we doing? It's just become you know, a way of venting. You know, politics is a great topic that people love to vent about, and it, it's always in the moment. And it's, it's always, you know, something we could have you know, done differently had we known what we know now. And it's always about hindsight, too. And it's a very unsatisfying kind of debate. I would say one of the things, you know, that, you know, you're, you're right about people not wanting to pay for journalism or to, or to get good, you know, investigation of what's going on. But the problem is, is beyond that, too. I mean, everybody talks about voter apathy and how nobody turns out for elections. Look at what's happening, you know, in the upcoming, just the, the county and state elections here. How many judicial races, you know, are com- they're completely unopposed? There's there's no Republican in sight. Uh, the, the, there's no ch- de- you know Democratic challengers to each other either. It's all just you know vote. Let's vote by plebiscite affirmation. Here's everything becomes kind of like you know, here's somebody with nobody in, in, on the other side whatsoever. And you have to vote for this person. I, well, I've just said it. I'm not voting anymore for any candidate. I don't. I don't. I don't disagree with you at all. Except someplace, but the, somewhere. I mean, but the point is, how do how do people rebel against that? They they really can't rebel against at the polling place if they stay away. Then they become the butt of everybody's complaints because they look at the horrible people we got elected. Look at the horrible people that were slated too. And okay, the but, people who are controlled by the insiders, like a Biden and a Kamala Harris, there's no way those two should have been on the ticket if there was a democracy. Okay, but, but when you, when those are the people that, that you're, you're given to vote for. What kind of choices really do you have? I, I'm just, I'm tired of the well, voters taking the brunt of all this. Well, you, you, it's a question of when you when you when you enter the enter the the the, uh, the stadium. If you enter the stadium the day you walk down to poll. You, you may think you're doing your civic duty, and I guess you sort of are, but you're, you're way late. I mean, when you, when you, there was a time, you know, you know more about this than me, I'll bet there was a time when virtually all the judges were appointed. We had, we had run, one round of elections. We were supposed to put, I don't know who the hell appointed them, but I mean, I know just like the Supreme Court is appointed by Congress, right? By the president and approved by Congress. And everybody said, well, this, this is BS. This doesn't work. We got to elect these people now. But then, did the person who decided to do this, or the people who decided to do this, think forward to the fact that twenty years from now we're going to have fifty names on the ballot and nobody knows who they are? 
Okay, now is it is it really better than than the appointed system when nobody even knows who these people are? I'm I'm going to say and, maybe. And not. Why don't they, Why don't they know who they are, Tom? Well, but that's, I'm saying I, it's because um, nope, nobody wants to cover these stories. You get you you know any newspaper in Chicago that's devoted a sentence to judicial races in the last couple election cycles. I'd like to know which newspaper it is. Well, that's my point. It's not nobody. I mean, it's it's becomes an election where. How, how do how do I know? I mean, it, how would I have any idea who the, who the best judge is to go down to Twenty Sixth Street tomorrow? I mean, I, I don't know their legal record, and why why is it? I have a and, and why would you take the, the recommendations of any bar association? Because they at least deal with take them. Take that into the polling place and vote. Are those people any better? Well, I don't, I don't know. So there's 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 politically corrupted as well. The people put these people on the ticket to begin with. I. So I, there's no, I mean, the, the only vestige people have of, well, here's some, we got to look at what, you know, some rating agency here, and there's there's 50 of them now for every possible ethnic, racial, gender group imaginable. And why would I listen to those people? What do they know? But I mean, the they, they all have push, they're pushing I, an agenda and they want their I, candidate I, I, in. I, I, I get Like it. every other industry. So, you know, but it, they're, you they're could, to be ignored in my when we When we were very young, and I, I guess they're still around, I don't know what they do anymore. For the guys like Greg will know what I'm talking about. There was an outfit called Underwriters Labs. Underwriters Labs, no, they got they got paid by I think they were pretty straight to be honest with you. Yeah, I they, do too. They got paid by if you came out with an extension cord and you wanted to sell it, you could just go sell it. There was no problem with that. But if you wanted to put a stamp on there that somebody actually tested it, I think it's not gonna blow up your house. That person would pay to get it tested by Underwriters Lab, and it would be a, a sign on it says Underwriters Lab approved. You could never bring anything home to our house that was an extension cord or a toaster or hell you were buying. It didn't say you all approved on it. My mother said, bring it back. I mean, it was, you know, they people trusted the, but you paid a little more for that thing, but at least you knew it was going to blow up, or you, you thought it wasn't going to. I'm saying, it's, if people really wanted, wanted, cared about the judge system, there would be send these, send this group a hundred bucks. They'll, they'll send you a, an independent look at these people. But some of them are so new, I've never been judges. I mean, my buddy, my buddy Bill, I won't use his last name, says that one of the judges at at Twenty uh, Sixth Street goes this, this Af- African American dude. First thing we thought of when this is you know a long time ago. He's the first time the guy got made a judge. I said, what the hell did he do? Why is he a judge? I said, over the next five years, the guy is by far the best judge I've ever had down there. So, I mean, so you never know. Some people take the job, keep learning, and, and use the opportunity and jump on it and actually do a terrific job. I mean, and I, some people waddle learn, and some people are straight to begin with. I and mean, they're not yeah. in there to you know, to fix cases or you look the other way and stuff. So, But I mean, yeah, you, I agree. It, it, but you, but you look like at you, the... You, you and I, Jan, have talked. I'm sorry, I'm talking too much when I can't really talk here. But is you and I have always wondered who, who puts who puts money in these judicial cases. I mean, if you talk to well, I didn't know last night because I don't want to spread any germs at them. But uh, the judges last night, they're all they're all good guys. I mean, it, it's I don't know if they're you know the guys you, you want to put them on the Supreme Court or whatever. And they sometimes I'm kind of stunned at some of the stuff I talk about, like current events. They have no idea what I'm talking about, so that's a little weird. But uh, but in their in their world, I mean, like like you know, Bill says, look, virtually everybody 
who knows where they got their backing or where they got this stuff. You land down at 26th Street or you land in divorce court or you land... Virtually everybody tries to do their best and does a good job. I mean, there, there's, there's nothing... Now, whether State Farm, Prudential, Allstate, John Flanagan or whoever gave the person a million dollars to be there thinking that someday, somewhere, the guy's going to be down in Chancery or someplace, get some gazillion-dollar lawsuit for a, a car accident and they're going to pull the favor... I don't know, but Bill says most of these people just end up in regular courtrooms dealing with 18-year-old kids and doing the best they can. I mean, it's not, it's not all brain surgery, right? No, but I, would, I think of the higher-profile cases and you know, the politically-connected cases. Um, I, don't, I can't you know, name names because I don't have any names to name, but I, I've always suspected that there's, there's so many promises made behind the scenes, whether in campaign money or, or family favors or whatever, that the balance has already been tipped and the case is I, Like I'm saying, someday, decided. somewhere, State Farm probably would love to have you know, every judge in the system, <clears throat> 10 grand in case a case lands anywhere, they got it covered, right? But they're, but they're dropping a lot of 10 grands yeah. on people they're never going to see. That's my point. The well, you know, it's be, interesting, you know, Tom. When, when I... I think I may have mentioned before on, on this program, but all when I was in law school, you know, in all the cases I read, thousands and thousands of cases in every kind of bureau setting, I never remember any case on the question of judicial ethics where a, a judge had been outed and convicted and served time for some, you know, horrible breach of, of judicial ethics, and it was never even talked about as an issue. And I mean, they started an examination in my last year of law school for attorneys to pass, in addition to the bar exam, to be certified, you know, your, your professional responsibility, a whole, you know, you multiple choice quest, question and answer thing about what your ethics are, just like there is now for affirmative action, you know, sensitivity hiring and everything else. Um, but never was the possibility that a case had ever been fixed, was ever broached in a law school class by a student asking a question or a professor letting something out of the bag about it. And in retrospect, it isn't like that hasn't always happened. And Jan, it's happened been, at the Supreme Court level been, and every place else. But but the, the profession hides it very well and it's never talked about. Um, in my lifetime, I've been involved, fortunately, in not very many um, regular court cases and uh, quite a few arbitration cases. I've done expert witness testimony and was involved in a couple, I thought every single one was rigged. Every single one. I'm behind you. I, every single one. When you get to arbitration, absolutely. Arbitration, so that, that, is, was, arbitration is crooked as hell, in my right. opinion. And in the court cases I was involved with were crooked as hell. Tom, that's why I refuse to ride in Ubers. And maybe this has changed, but you know the rideshare app, you know, forces you, or it did, maybe they've changed it, but it forced you to waive your right to a jury trial and to submit to arbitration. I'm, just, I'm not going to ride with somebody who screws up or gets hit by somebody, and I have to go fight in arbitration to get a settlement out. So that's why, that's my, I, I disbelieve in it just as strongly as you do. Well, yeah, did you ever hear the, the, the original one was the great softball story? You heard this one? Uh, you got to educate me, yeah. Well, there used to be, back in the day, if you ever watched the, the movie about last night, in uh, softball in Grant Park was religion, right? <clears throat> there, was all, there were all these teams. We were the financial league. Every, there's a million leagues down there. There was the insurance league, you name it. Uh, at the end of the year, 
they would take the top team of all the divisions or all the places and you'd have this <laughs> tournament of champions. So we were the best team in the financial thing, so we end up in the tournament of champions. And we win. Uh, my brother, uh, he came to watch, but he, he was working for GATX at the time, so he was in the industrial one down here. And Dan's a hell of a player, and we could have used him. <laughs> but we didn't play him because he wasn't on the team, right? Uh, <clears throat> so he shows up and he goes, you know, by the way, a couple of these guys on the other team here, I played against them last week. They're not in the financial industry. And, and by the way, they're pretty good. So we end up losing these guys by like one run or two runs or something. You know, no huge deal. We were not real happy because we were always not happy when we lost. Imagine that. And uh, so all of a sudden, the next day, I get a call early in the morning from a guy saying, this is the park commissioner that you have, uh, uh, you played, the other team had a couple of illegal players. They've been disqualified. By the way, you guys are playing in the finals tonight. Or t- the next day. It might have been the next day. I go, okay, then. So I call my guys. I go, bring your spikes, blah, blah, blah. We're playing. But a few guys, didn't, they just said, screw it. We lost. No, uh, yeah, hey, we're playing. We're in. We're, what else can we do? Sure enough, the guy calls back later. You're out. Why are we out? Well, they, they got a court injunction. Somebody managed to get the court in the court injunction. Now, the, the rules are virtually every park league, any league that I've ever been involved in, is that everybody's supposed to submit their rosters, and everybody gets a copy of Bales' rattle. Nobody ever looks, because you, you don't really care. Whoever shows up, you play. That's just the way things are. But when, when it gets to the tournament game, it's a little different. But, um, but in this kind of a thing, the only guy who had the rosters was the park commissioner. And he's the one who called these guys out on it. So, of course, the attorney said to the judge, the other team never protested it, so this guy can't do it on his own. The judge rules on that. Do you think the judge really ruled on the merits of that case or merit on who was in front of him? So these the guys, latter. Yeah, <laughs> these guys got the... Actually, for people who think I'm totally BSing them, Mike Rickover wrote a column about it. He couldn't believe it. that Somebody managed to get a judge to hear this case on two hours' notice when the whole system was backed up. He wrote a whole column about how crooked the system was and who do these people know to get their softball team on the field ahead of somebody who actually had a real problem. That's where it all started, John. It's been downhill ever since. Yeah, it's talk about what makes an emergency. <laughs> yeah. One of these days, I'll give you the great horse story, but that's another one. I want to hear it. God, it was... Uh, Tom, I, I want to wish a Merry Christmas you to too. you and your family. Maybe I'll see you one plans. of these days, huh? You're in for, the, you're in for the next uh, the next Tuman meeting. I, I didn't go last night, but the next one I'm in for sure. And I'll, I'll wiggle you an inform- in, uh, invitation as a learned jurist. Okay. All right, buddy. SP Futures up 36. We are halfway back. SP Futures up 171. We'll see what happens today. See if we can come all the way back. Back tomorrow, Stocks and Jocks. Stocks and Jocks is brought to you by PTI Securities and Futures. Go to PTISecurities.com. PTI Pro Direct. Trade for as low as a penny per share and a dollar per option contract. Learn more at PTIProDirect.com. Nadex. Offering an intuitive way to trade the financial markets. Visit Nadex.com. Home Source Realty. Call Audrey Johnson at 708-349-3456. Hamzi Analytics. Listen to Fari Hamzi every other Thursday and visit HamziAnalytics.com. CairoMed. Back or neck pain? Schedule a complimentary consultation by calling 708-403-2727. DAX Research. Tune in for David Andelman's technical analysis on Mondays and Thursdays and call 1-800-821-4968.